John 3, 16 through 19. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. For God so loved you. What does that mean to you? For God so loved Ian that a person who is pursuing worthless things that constantly left me empty can give me true joy and fulfillment in serving the one true king. For God so loved Marcus that he took a man who was lost seeking love, purpose, and acceptance from things other than God and transform me into a man who now lives for only the approval of God and is fully satisfied in the love and grace that he gives. For God so loved Haley that a woman living in fear of marriage due to generational sin now lives in freedom knowing his purpose for a marriage centered on him. For God so loved Scott that he broke him as a young man. Forgiven, restored to fellowship, I get to now live for him. For God so loved Chris, a young man who was stuck in bitterness and anger over a broken relationship, but now gets to live in the freedom of joy and forgiveness and truly recognizes the redeeming power of Jesus Christ. For God so loved Turner, a sinner who used to live to satisfy my own desires, now finds joy, forgiveness, and fulfillment in Jesus Christ. For God so loved Mike that he took a fear from leaving what is most comfortable in life and gave me peace, joy, and confidence to accomplish all that he has called me to. For God so loved Melissa that I no longer live in a lack of self-worth and insecurity, but in a confidence that's found in the freedom of Christ. A love that lets me know that who I am in Christ is way more important than what I can do on my own. Amen. For God so loved the world. For God so loved. Everybody say, for God so loved. loved. Now everybody say, for God so loved and then your name. How would you fill in the blank? What would that look like for you? I want to say good morning. My name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is good to have you with us today. And I want to say thank you for bearing with us. It's, guys, it is a great problem. Um, you know, we just started today, four services. Um, somebody just asked me, like, when are we going to start five? And I said, shut it. <laughs> um, but it is a great, uh, a great thing to know that God is moving in such a way uh, to be able to go to four services, yes, and we still, this is not that much more full than the 8 o'clock. I'm like, who wakes up that early? Um, it's so cool. Um, but just bear with us. We're going to figure out more. We have a new parking lot coming. It's going to make the transition much, much easier, and hopefully that will be done in just a couple of weeks if winter does not start tomorrow. 
Um, so we do live in Michigan, so we never know. But regardless, we get to come together as brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't care about how long we wait in line. We don't care about coming and what chair we get. We get to worship the creator of the universe. Amen. Amen. Who's ready for the word of God today? That's what we get to do. So we're in a series called No Middle Ground. If you've never received one of these or if you've already lost it, you get one more. Not two more, you get one more and uh, you can grab this. And we're walking through a series through the gospel of John, really through the first half. Looking at the first half of John and going, how do you, I'm trying my best. I want to take every chapter, John chapter three, for instance, today, that's a chapter I should easily preach in three or four weeks naturally is what I would probably do. We're going to hit it in one week because we want you to walk out of this place and look at friends, look at family and say, hey, here's what, here's what we learn in John chapter three to be able to very easily state what's taken place in that chapter. So we get to do that today with no middle ground. You can go ahead and grab that as you have an opportunity to. If you need to grab one now, go get it. If you need a pen, go get it. If you need to get out your phone for some notes, go ahead and grab that and get ready as we get to walk through no middle ground. John chapter 3 today as we get to tell a wonderful, wonderful story. Why? Because John chapter 3... In many regards, it, it is the crux of Christianity. The entirety of it, not just John 3.16. I know it was referenced, Pastor Nathan referenced before, how many people know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world. But um, John chapter 3, the entire chapter, it paints a wonderful picture of Christianity as a whole. Jesus came into the world so that all people can know the nature and the character of God. The Trinity, yes, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they have always been. Jesus has always been, but came in flesh 2,000 years ago to paint a picture of the character and the nature of God. It's that simple. Why did Jesus come? To paint a picture of the character and the nature of God. You should be able to speak that, should be able to communicate that freely and easily. God loves, Jesus sacrifices, we believe and we have life. Are you into that? And that's something that we have to process. And as we process that, this is a passage, I believe, um, that when you look at the first 12 verses or so of John chapter 3, you're looking at the life of Nicodemus. And knowing that I can't cover every verse thoroughly in um, just a few minutes, what I would like to do is I'm going to give you three ways to think about John chapter 3, a movement of sorts. John chapter 3, 1 through 12, which is the story of Nicodemus. Very important story for us to be aware of and to know. John chapter 3, verse 1 through 12. Then we're going to focus on John chapter 3, verse 16, yes. And then we're going to focus on John chapter 3, 17 through 21. That was the passage uh, that Ashley read for us previously. She was cute, wasn't she? I can say that because she's my daughter, <laughs> all right? Um, and I know you're all thinking, how does he have kids that old? Um, <laughs> nobody was thinking that, were they? John chapter 3, verse 1 and following. Let's stand for the reading of the word of God. John chapter 3, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the, Jew, the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi. So already he's referring to him as teacher. This is significant. Here's a Pharisee. We'll talk about that in a moment. 
saying, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. Now, right away, leave the, just leave this up here. This is significant because Nicodemus is coming to see Jesus because of the signs. Remember, he just did his first big sign last week. Okay, we will say that. John chapter 2, when we hit that, the turning of the water of the wine, uh, into wine at the wedding at Cana. He knew that when he started performing different signs, people were going to start coming and wanting to ask a lot of different questions. Things were going to shift. And so here comes this Pharisee named Nicodemus says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher from God, come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless it is with him. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Are you born again? Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So literal. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? This is the word of God. You may be seated. Something just hit me in this service, and, and they know that all the services are going to look a bit different, of course, and... Um, but are you prepared, is your heart prepared today to hear heavenly things? And not only earthly things. Is your heart prepared today to hear heavenly things and not only earthly things? Here's Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a wealthy Pharisee. Nicodemus was part of the Sanhedrin. It was a Jewish ruling body there in Jerusalem. It was the primary one. About 70 to 72 people actively serving on that. He was one of the wealthiest people in Jerusalem. Uh, very generous in his benevolence and um, was a Pharisee. Now, sometimes I'll tell you that Pharisees get a bad rap. Pharisees, for the most part, they, they, were, they were Jewish people who wanted to show their allegiance to God and their faithfulness. And so what they would do is they came up with a lot of other rules, basically. Um, and the short of all things, it's just like they made up a bunch of rules to say, hey, we got to do these things too so that we can show our allegiance and our faithfulness to God. That's why we always say we don't add to Scripture, we don't remove from Scripture. Let Scripture be Scripture. You can't make up a bunch of rules. I'll give you one example. And hear me say, this is, I'm doing this hopefully in, a, in the, the right posture. I want you to hear this. It's as though, it's like saying, um, you can't cut your grass on Sunday. Is it wrong to not cut your grass on Sunday because you want to be in a relationship with God. No, that's not wrong. Hear me say that. 
But to make up that rule and then for somebody else to cut their grass on Sunday and to assume that they're not in a healthy relationship with God, when Jesus actually ushered in that we're to be in continual worship of him seven days a week, is something that a Pharisee would do. And so what we've done, even in West Michigan, but all over the place, because I've lived all over the place, what I see all the time is we end up making up particular rules in order to feel good about who we are. Yet what John 3 tells us is that we cannot earn anything through Jesus Christ. It is a gift from his son, Jesus, giving us life, being resurrected from the dead. That's why we declare living hope in Jesus Christ. It's only through that, but yet we make up all these rules to feel better about ourselves. So once again, hear me say, I'm not saying that if you don't cut grass on a Sunday, it's a bad thing. But to automatically assume that somebody else who does cut their grass at 2.15 on a Sunday afternoon, and then they try to hurry it up so they can go see their kids because they're going to be gone all week and they don't want their wife to cut their grass, does not mean that all of a sudden that they are an enemy of God. (laughs) I was just looking for things flying at me in that moment. So that's what a Pharisee was. Again, they get a bad rap sometimes. Some of them love the Lord. This guy loved the Lord. Joseph of Arimathea was on the Sanhedrin, also um, a Pharisee who loved the Lord. We already know Joseph of Arimathea gave up his tomb for Jesus Christ, right? We know that in um, John chapter 7, verse 52-51, we find that it was Nicodemus who went to the rulers and said, can I help take down his body to help prepare it? So here's Nicodemus, and people ask, do you think that Nicodemus is in heaven? Without a doubt, I do. Without a doubt, I do. If you look at the text, if you look at what else he did, here's a man who came to understand the power and the love of Jesus Christ, that he is the light of the world. He's somebody who even opposed in in 70, the the Jewish revolts, he opposed those because of what they were leading to. And so as a result, a lot of the zealots burned down some of his property. As a man who I believe loved God and loved Jesus. And this is what it says in verse 2. It says, this man came to Jesus by night. Now, it's not a big thing. I'm not going to make much of it. Everybody says, oh, he came by night. It's secret. And, and, yeah, there might be a little bit of truth to that. But it was not uncommon for people to speak about God at night either. Like, it's, like we got to be careful here. Not to make too much of something. But, yes, there's, there's something that's pretty cool there. Um, and he came at night to go and to speak with him. Some people are like, oh, it's because he didn't want to be seen. It might be part of the truth, but also it might have been his opportunity of the day. And he sees this guy doing miracles. And he's like, I want to know more about this guy because he was a religious leader of the time in that area. He says, we know that you're a teacher from God. For him to refer to him as rabbi is to say, hey, you're a teacher. For, for Nicodemus, who was the ultimate teacher for the Jewish people of that time in that area, to automatically refer to somebody else as teacher, he knew that he had something to offer. And so he comes up and he says, rabbi, meaning teacher. He says, teacher, rabbi, is it true? So here he says, rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, do you believe that Jesus is from God, yes or no? That's not hard. Muslims believe that Jesus is from God. Agnostics often believe that Jesus is from God. You're going, what? Because, yeah, 
it must be true that you are from God. There's no other way that you're doing these things regardless of whether you, other status you have. There's no questioning that you are from God. The thing that Nicodemus was challenged with, that he had to face reality of, and it's the same thing that we all have to cope with and deal with as well, is not whether or not Jesus is from God. Do you truly believe that Jesus is God? That's the difference. Do you believe that Jesus is God? Believing Jesus is from God is not the same as believing Jesus is God. If everybody in the world just said Jesus is from God, you wouldn't have the persecution toward believers and Christians that you have today. But saying that Jesus is God means that he is the only God because there's no other. He was the only son of God. And that automatically puts everybody else's understanding of self and identity and other gods at a lower place. And that upsets people if you haven't figured that one out. And they don't like it. But truth is truth. We believe in the fullness of the word of God. 66 books, 27 in the New Testament. They are all the word of God. And it very clearly says there is one son of God. His name is Jesus. And through his death and resurrection, everybody who believes and professes faith in him can have eternal life. Do you get all that? Do you believe that Jesus is God? That was a struggle with Nicodemus. That's what he was going to have to come to face with. Because here's Nicodemus with all of his faith about God, he was going to have to be born again. Why? Because he was spiritually blind in many ways. So many people today who are keeping rules are actually spiritually blind. That's why here at Chapel Point we say that we're transformed followers of Jesus, that we want to multiply transformed followers of Jesus. Transformation is a continual process, not a one-time event. We want you to every few weeks to be able to say, man, this is what God's doing in my life right now. This is how he's growing me. This is how he's teaching me. This is what he's doing in my life. We want you to better articulate that because you should not be at the same place today as you were a year ago or six months ago, right? Shouldn't we have better results than that if we were living in a relationship with God? I know that if I go to the gym and I really clean up my diet and I start working out five, six days a week and I'm like, okay, here I go. And, and I don't see any change in a month. There's something I'm doing wrong, right? That means that for most people, that means at night you're eating way too much. That's how people are. There's always a reason for it. Well, if I say that I'm growing in Christ, I'm going to start spending time with God and I believe that he's the one true light, that he is the light of the world, and then I'm going to be obedient to him. And I don't see any change after being obedient to him. I'm going, there's something wrong. Because transformation is a continual process. And so Nicodemus hears this in John chapter 3. He's like, man, Jesus answered. He He jumps right in. He's like, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is like, come on. So he's so literal. How can a man be born born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? I mean, it's a. I think it's an interesting, peculiar question. I've never met a mom or a a mother who says, "Let's make, let's try that one out." But he's thinking in such a literal way when it. Literally, in both Hebrew and Greek, when it talks about the spirit blowing, it means breath or wind blowing into your life. I think that's one of the reasons that we see this here where Jesus refers to that. He's like, man, it's like the wind. You don't see the wind, but you know that it's present. You know that the spirit is present. Jesus calls us us out. So after being asked this question about being born a second time into his mother's womb, Jesus says again, truly, truly, I say to you, he says it again, truly, truly, 
Like, hey, here's the truth. Are you going to listen up? Are you going to allow this to impact your life? Truly, truly, I said to you, unless one is born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You must be born again. This is the most important news you're going to hear today. You want to know why? You must be born again. Because it's called regeneration. It's called regeneration. It means that we have new life in Christ. It doesn't say that you need greater morality and Nicodemus was moral. He was a good man. It says that you need to be born again. A spiritual conversion of the heart is needed. So I, I think it is why 1 Peter 1, uh, verse 3 is so important. 1 Peter 1, 3, if you want to scribble that down real quick. Blessed be the God of our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercies, he has caused us to be born again. He's caused us to be born again. A new life is to be had in Jesus. A new life is waiting for everyone. But the reality is that many disregard that very thing. We, we choose to live in the old rather than the new. And so he calls out the wind. It's invisible. The spirit is also spiritual rebirth involves the unseen work of God's spirit. And the unseen work is what's so hard for us to process. That's why when all of a sudden Jesus started to perform the miracles, they could tangibly see what he could do. Then they started following him. But Jesus knew, and I think he was, yes, as a human, reluctant toward it. Because why? He didn't want people to follow him simply because of what he could do for them on a miracle basis in the physical. He wanted them to follow him because of his spirit spiritual deep belief in who he is that leads to eternal life. And he knew what people would do. They would start to follow him because what he could do for them in that moment, the the miraculous. It forces us to ask ourselves whether or not we believe in what he can do, not in just the physical, but in the spiritual. Do we believe in that? Do we truly live our life accordingly? Nicodemus had to give up claiming his life in order to discover true life. And so we have to ask ourselves, will we give up our life in order to claim a new life, a true life in Christ Jesus? What are you claiming hold of? What are you claiming belief in that is keeping you from being fully surrendered to Jesus? Because here's what Nicodemus had to do. Nicodemus had to set aside this deep belief in what was tangible and what was real life right there in front of him that he could touch and that he could feel and the rules that he could make. He had to set that aside so he could enter into a deeper relationship with Jesus. And I do believe that he did that. Because there's too many of us today, we're holding on to what we already know. There, there's, um, well, let me, let me start it like this. There, there, there's so many of us today who, I want to make sure that we really know who Jesus is. I think there's a lot of people that claim that Jesus is from God, but that not, it's not necessarily is God. Because if you believe that Jesus is God, there is an automatic transformation that happens in your life. I do believe that in which you're willing to surrender anything for him. And today we're still trying to find fulfillment in what we know and what we've always experienced. And we're not always willing to give up the old in order to encounter the new. Um, the, the story I would tell is, and this is better than a decade ago, and I'm very careful how I tell this story. And, 
not to get anybody in, in trouble, but it's amazing the things that I had the privilege and the honor of stepping into. And I remember a lady in a church once, not here, um, and we started to notice her countenance, her demeanor was different, and even sometimes her face. It was like, uh, why is she wearing so much makeup? Um, very long story, made very, very short, is we recognized that she was being both physically and, and sexually abused by her husband. We stepped in, police stepped in, right? I'm legally, if I, if I hear something like that, you need to know by law, I'm obligated to go to the law. All right, so we do all the necessary things and we poured into that, that woman and to her kids. And there are times, and it just went up and down for well over a year, where there are times where we gave her a place to live and it was not a large congregation. That was a big thing for us to, to be able to provide these types of things. And we're providing her somewhere to live and we're getting counseling. We're doing all these different things, getting her a different job. All types of things came into play where the, so the husband wouldn't know where she was anymore. And then all of a sudden, she would even walk in the door and I would say, I, I knew. I was like, you went back because her, her countenance was different. And she would end up, she just kept going back to the very person where she experienced abuse because at least she knew what it would be like, she said. And I think there are so many people today who are still holding on to what they know because there's more comfort in that for them rather than living according to what God and Christ can do. And you keep going back rather than finding the new life that even Nicodemus was looking for. And so you go back into a relationship, you're not even married, but you keep going back because it's better than not having anybody. And there's no guarantee you think that God's going to provide something better. And so you just keep going back to it. Or you keep going back to the same job in which you are constantly belittled and beaten down over and over again. But you keep doing it, not because you think it's a mission field. That's one thing, but because at least you know what's to come. Friends, there is always greater in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Do you believe it? I think Nicodemus struggled with knowing that there was something greater than what he already knew. So we see Nicodemus walking this path. And in verse 7 it says, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. This is where the wind blows, where it wishes you don't know where it comes from or where it goes, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus says, listen, you're a teacher of, te like you're a teacher of teachers, man. You're teaching in Israel. How, you've got to get this right. You've got to have true faith, not just a bunch of rules. You've got to live that out. Parents, you've got to get this right. You've got kids. Don't teach them just a bunch of rules. Teach them what it is to live by faith and faith alone.
Are you willing to, to live by the truth of God, not only what you already understand God to be? Are you willing to have a greater understanding of who God is? Here, here, here's this passage. We, we jump from Nicodemus, and I'm just going to go ahead and jump down real quick. Uh, John chapter th uh, 3, verse 16. You're going to throw it on the screen here. Let's go ahead and call this out together. John 3, 16. Everybody read it. One, two, three, go. That is what the lady I spoke about earlier needed to encounter. That's how I woke up numerous times. And I usually see pretty well. And so um, I just kept waking up over and over. And I kept thinking about John 3.16. I'm like, what are the two words? What are the words that have to really describe this? Two words I would give to John 3.16 that it's really about. Two words. Ready? Rescue and redemption. John 3.16 is about rescuing ourselves from something that we could not be rescued by anything else except for Jesus Christ. Something had to then redeem us from the sin in our life. And the only thing that could do that was the blood of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. That's what it is. John 3.16 is a picture of being rescued and redeemed. Do you really, can you look at your friends and say, you know what? Let me tell you about Jesus. He has rescued me from a life that I deserve and given me and redeemed me for a life that I do not deserve through his blood and through his sacrifice, I believe in the power of the resurrection of Jesus. He has rescued me. Do you know that you have been rescued by the blood of Jesus Christ? And the reason I ask this question is very simple. I don't think most people do. I think most of us still think that we can earn it, that we can be good enough, that we can be nice enough. You cannot be. It is through the blood of Jesus that we have life. That's it. I will die with those words on my lips. And we keep substituting what salvation is and what life is and what fulfillment is. We keep trying to find substitutes because at least we can touch those things and at least we can see those things. But it never works and so we just keep grinding it out. If I can buy another home or a nicer car or if I can make sure that I go to school over here, if I could have this person as a friend, if I could only be good at music, if I could only do this or this or this or this. And we keep trying to find fulfillment in all the wrong things. Fulfillment is only found in Jesus. Christ. That's what Jesus wanted Nicodemus to know. It's what he wants for us to know. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him can have eternal life. That's all that matters. You will not perish. You will not die. But we just keep looking for fulfillment, for fulfillment in other places. And I love John 3, 16, because here's the duration of God's love. Ready? Eternity. Jesus giving his life is an expression of God's love. Throughout history, God orchestrated everything perfectly, exactly the way it needed to be. And it led to true redemption and rescuing from ourselves. Now, John 3.16 is something that, of course, we love, and you'll have people who um, put it all over the place and some signs. And um, sadly, today, when you see it at a sports game, they say that's uh, typically everybody's, there's Google searches that are looking for John 3.16. Used to, that didn't happen. One, you didn't have Google. But two, you also knew what John 3.16 was. Most people see John 3.16 today, they actually don't know what it is. They're wanting to know. 
John 3.16. And John 3.16, as you already know, I think much of it, it's about rescuing and it's about redemption. It tells us a lot, but what it also uh, doesn't say is important. For God so loved the world. Isn't it awesome that God loved the world? He gave his only son. Isn't that super? It is wonderful that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 17 through 21, though, must be read, I think, in the context of John 3.16. Because then then it tells us that if you don't believe, then this is what happens. If you are someone, I'm just going to go ahead and just jump to the point here. This is about somebody who chooses to reject the name of Jesus as the son of God. There is consequence. One of the things that the church has done that I think is absolutely horrendous is we no longer sometimes acknowledge what happens um, when we make decisions that are not of God. And scripture is still there and very clear. We want everything to be about grace, but there is also justice there is also consequence. And so here we jump in, John 3, 17 and following. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Well, that's cool. All right, so now we don't have condemnation. This is good. Isn't that good? That's a good day, right? But then it says, but in order that the world might be saved. Oh yeah, more good news. That's great. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Yeah, hallelujah. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Oh, Oh, things have changed. It was all about God loving the world. The world's not condemned, right? God sent his son, right? We can all be saved through him. This is super. But oh, wait a second. But the one who doesn't believe, right, is condemned already. The one who chooses to reject the name of Jesus, that's what this is saying, is condemned. This is the unfun part. But I have to preach truth. I'm far more concerned about my accountability before God than I am you. Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Now remember Nicodemus, he's struggling with belief. But how can somebody be born again? Details, man. If you believe God created the world, Genesis 1-1, everything else is easy. Right? From last week, we got to get it. Because he who has not believed in the name of the only Son of God, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because the works were evil. Here's the problem is people don't want to believe. You want to know this is what this is communicating to us very, very simply. It's saying people don't want to believe because they know that if he is the light of the world, that's one of the seven I am's that we find in the Gospel of John. John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. It's one of the seven I am's. You need to know that there are seven I am statements goes all the way back to the Old Testament because I am who I am. And here he is, I am the light of the world. People don't like the light of the world because it exposes the darkness. And yes, it goes even further for everyone who does wicked things hates the light. Now, this is one of the other dilemmas that we have in this passage is because here's God loving the world and loving us before and well before we've ever chose to love him. And he's choosing to love us even when we choose not to love him. That's the power of John 3.16. But the dilemma that we have here is that no one here would say, I'm wicked. And yet the word of God says those who choose to live according to the darkness are choosing to live in wickedness. We'll look at other people and go, man, they are wicked. But when it comes to us, if we make the same mistake as somebody else says, we'll go, oopsie daisy. 
messed up, sorry. We can break one of the Ten Commandments and be like, oh, yeah, I made a mistake. I lied again. I'm sorry. Everyone who does wicked things hates the light. We hate the light because why? It exposes, lest his work should be exposed, it exposes the darkness. So the best thing that the world can do is say, you know what, I'd rather, can we just kind of put a top on, on the light on all candles? Let's just hide everything because that way our evil and our wickedness and our sin can't be exposed and then I can never be corrected and then I can do anything I want and I'll just keep trying to find fulfillment in everything else. Follow me? But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. John 3.16 is this amazing offer. And the offer of God was, has inherent consequences, though, for those who refuse to believe. And that's why I'm asking you, do you truly believe that Jesus is God and that that is your only true source of fulfillment in life? Here's a passage in which men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Here's a passage in which everyone practicing evil, it tells us, hates the light. And we know that a lot of people hate conviction because it forces them to confront their sin. And they don't want to face it, and so they would rather reject God. But we are forced to ask ourselves light or darkness? Do we want to embrace the light of Jesus Christ? Right after this, um, in this passage, what you find is John the Baptist and, and Jesus, they're both baptizing and some of the followers of John the Baptist are coming in like, hey, there's this other guy baptizing and he's like, he must be from heaven. And John the Baptist starts to tell everybody, even his followers about more about who Jesus is. And in John verse uh, chapter 3, verse 30, he says, he must, de he must increase and I must decrease. It's a popular verse. What John the Baptist is talking to his disciples about, obviously Nicodemus is not there, but I certainly think is applicable for Nicodemus. I think Jesus is looking at him and goes, listen, here's the gist of it. Lest you weigh more me. It'll take care of everything. And if I evaluate John 3.16, for God so loved the world, then I know that there is life for me. I know that there's finally hope. And my prayer regularly is, God, let me know where I need to decrease so that you may increase. That's a question you could go ask in your small groups or with some friends. What is one area? And everybody should answer this. If you don't think you have an area, there's pride at play. What is one area in which you can decrease so that the name of Jesus can increase? Because you believe that he's the light of the world. Make, you, make your friends, make your spouse, make a loved one answer that question. What is one way you can decrease so that he may increase?
I believe that he is the light of the world, and that's why I can stand here like everybody else did to begin the message, and I can say, for God so loved Joel, I don't have to keep living in constant stress and anxiety because I have hope in Christ. And I can release all of that. And I can press towards Jesus. Make the change. There's so many of us still living according to the darkness. It doesn't work. Doesn't work. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. Will you embrace lightness? The light of the world, right? Or darkness? Light or dark? I praise you choose light. Lord, I come before you. And I praise you. And I'm asking that you'll give strength to the weary that you would give hope to the hopeless, that you would allow those that are living in dark to live in the light of the world, that you would help us to recognize that we don't have to be silent in, in timidity of, in fear of what others may think, but we can live in the boldness of Jesus because we know for eternity, we will be at your feet worshiping you, praising you, declaring you because you are hope. You are life. And so give these friends of mine the courage. Give them the courage, God. To know what needs to decrease in their life so that you may increase. To God be the glory forever and ever. And all the people said,